construction contracts are complicated. So today we're going to break down a specific contract provision. I'll give you some examples and some suggestions on how to deal with it. Make sure to check out our completely new and free service called contractdetective.com. You can scan and upload your contract and it will send you an email with some of the contract provisions that it finds and some links to videos on how to deal with those provisions. I hope you like the service and I hope you enjoy the show. My name is Alex Barthet. I am a board certified construction lawyer here in the great state of Florida. And today we're going to talk about what to do if you forget to send your notice to owner. And trust me, all is not lost. There are ways to still get paid. So let's get right into it. What are we going to talk about in detail today? Um, so first we're going to talk about the basic notice to owner and lien uh, or bond claim rules. Um, we need to make sure that everyone understands what the rules are. The best way to avoid missing a deadline is to know what the deadline is to begin with. Um, next, we'll talk about some of the most common exceptions that we see, uh, and it may be good news for you. Maybe you didn't actually miss the deadline. Next, we'll talk about uh, other bonds to go after. Sometimes there are bonds on projects that you may not know about that you could make a claim against and get paid. We'll talk about how to sue for breach of contract, how to sue for unjust enrichment. Those would be the other legal theories beyond the lien and bond claim that you can make a, a, a run at. Um, so let's get right into it. So let's go over the basics. Uh, the basic notice to owner, lien and bond claim rules. So you need to serve a notice to owner no later than 45 days from your first work on the project or delivery of materials to the site. Now let's break this sentence down. It's got a lot of parts to it. So the 45 days counts from the day after you deliver the material. So if I deliver materials today, tomorrow is day one. It counts every day, weekends and legal holidays through and including the 45th day the only time you have a little bit extra is if the 45th day lands on a weekend or legal holiday when there would be no mail. So you can't expect the notice to owner to be received on the 45th day if that was, for example, a Sunday and there's no certified mail. So you may get a day or two extra um, in your notice to owner deadline. However, you should not be counting on that extra few days because of weekends. There is a rule that says that if you send your notice to owner by the 40th day, 40, 40th day, even if it is never delivered, as long as you follow certain rules, it will be deemed properly served and delivered. So if you use Sunray, which you all should be using, Sunray Construction Solutions for your notice, what they will do is as long as you get it to them, with enough time, every day they go to the post office and they have a mail log, a manifest, and they get the post office to verify that each of the parcels that are being delivered by certified mail that day are in fact being accepted by the post office. So long as that is done by the 40th day and you have that manifest, 
than whether or not it is actually delivered. The, the mail truck could explode, catch on fire, and those packages and uh, notices never get delivered. It is still deemed properly delivered under the uh, under the service rule in the lien law. So what's the takeaway? You need to do your notice early. So that leads to the next question. What, how early can I send my notice? Our advice is you should send your notice, uh, roughly speaking, at about the time you sign your contract. So if I sign a contract today and I may not start work for another two months, I can send my notice today or tomorrow or the week after. The 45 days from your first work is the absolute latest date to serve your notice to owner. So I can't, I can serve it earlier, but I can serve it no earlier than when I have a contract. So if I, if someone says to me, hey, you're gonna get that job, I can't send my notice today. I have to wait until I actually have a contract. Then I can serve my notice, even if I may not show up on the job for another week or two or month. So that's the first rule. The second rule is that you need to serve your uh, notice of non-payment on the bonding company or record your claim of lien within 90 days of your last work or delivery of materials onto the job site. Um, so 90 days is calendared or ca calculated based on the day after your last day of work. So if I work, today's my last day, then tomorrow is day one. I count every day, weekend and legal holiday through and including the 90th day. And if the 90th day lands on a weekend or a legal holiday, then I would roll it over to the next day. So if the 90th day was a Saturday, it would go to Sunday. And if then Monday was a holiday, it would roll to Tuesday. Um, so you could get potentially up to 93 days. But again, we don't want to wait that long to serve our notice of non-payment or record the claim of lien because it takes time to do it. So our advice typically is to do it within 60 days. At about day 60 from your last day of uh, delivery of materials or last work on the project, that's when you really should start thinking about the claim of lien notice of non-payment process um, so that you're not rushing uh, at the last minute. So the next question we often get is, what is last work on a project? It does not include punch list work. It does not include repair or warranty work. So if I'm an electrician and uh, I finished my work, I passed my inspections, and then I'm called out to replace, you know, six broken face plates on light switches, that's not going to count to extend my uh, lien or notice of non-payment deadline. Uh, so if I'm a painter and I have to go back and do some touch-up paint, that would probably be considered punch list or warranty work that won't count. Change orders that are approved will count. So if I do work my 90 days, uh, let's say I'm on day 70, they call me out, they sign a change order and I have to install three new doors. I have now reset my 90 days, not when I sign the change order, but when I actually do that work. So those are some ways to renew your 90 day window. Um, and then the last major rule is you have to file a lawsuit on your lien within one year of the recording date of the claim of lien. And on a bond claim, you have to file suit within one year from your last work on the project. 
those two dates are not always the same, right? So on my lien foreclosure lawsuit, I have a little more time than on my bond claim lawsuit against the surety. So just be careful. And my advice is you should not be waiting anywhere near the one-year deadline. You should be uh, thinking about filing your lawsuit if you haven't been paid. Our typical advice is within 60 days of serving the notice of non-payment or recording the claim of lien. If you haven't been paid within 60 days of that date um, and you don't have a good business reason to wait, maybe this is one job of five and you have a good relationship with the owner or contractor and you just want to keep waiting, that's fine. But generally speaking, there are not, uh, you, your claim is not going to get better just because you wait. Project managers move, uh, documents get lost, uh, people's memories fade. So the longer you wait to enforce your lien or bond rights, usually the harder it is to get paid. So we usually say within about 60 days after you record your lien or serve your notice of non-payment, if you haven't been paid, that's when you need to start the process to enforce your lien and bond rights with a lawsuit. These are just the very basic rules. There's lots of exceptions, some of which we're going to go over now. Um, but just keep these rules in mind as you move forward. So let's talk about what may be certain exceptions that apply because maybe you think you needed to serve a notice and you actually didn't. So let's talk about some of the most common exceptions. So one is that you don't need to serve a notice to owner when you have a direct contract with the owner. So if I am the plumber and the party that hired me is the owner of the property, then I don't need to serve a notice to owner. I should, our advice is generally that you should have a process in your office that every project over a certain amount of money, you, you automatically notice. So you don't have to figure out, well, do I notice this job? Well, I don't have to notice this other job. You just have a process automatically, any job over a certain dollar threshold gets noticed. But if you have a direct contract with the owner, then you, don't need to serve a notice to owner. Where this gets a little tricky is there are certain folks that are the owner and the contractor. So if the owner of the property is an entity and many of the same owners of that entity are also connected with the contractor, then if that contractor hires you, let's say again, I'm the plumber, I don't need to serve a notice to owner because the owner and the owner of the property and the owner of the construction company are affiliated entities. And therefore that's another exception when a notice to owner is not needed because the law deems that situation to be one in which the um, owner and the contractor are effectively one. So you're, they, the law deems the fact that you have a contract with the contractor as the same as having a contract with the owner. Now I'm telling you these exceptions, not so that you plan for them so you don't send a notice. I'm telling you, you should send your notice, but just know that there are certain exceptions that apply so that if things don't go well, maybe one of these exceptions will save you. Um, next, you don't need a notice to owner. And in this case, it's technically called a notice to contractor when you have a direct contract with the bonded contractor. So let's take an example. I'm the electrician. 
I am doing work for a general contractor and that general contractor has a bond on this project. It may be a public job, it may be a private job, but the general contractor posted a bond on the project. I normally, if that bond didn't exist, in order to have lien rights, I would have needed to have served a notice to owner on the owner because I'm a subcontractor. But because the job is bonded by the general contractor, so there's a payment bond in place. How do I know there's a payment bond in place? I, I can look at the notice of commencement in the public record and it should reference the fact that the job is bonded. Maybe it says the bond is issued by Liberty Mutual, the Hartford, CNA. Um, but because the job is bonded, I don't need to serve a notice to owner or a notice to contractor. And the reason is simple. My claim on a bonded job is against the contractor surety. Well, the contractor knows I exist on this project because I signed a contract with him. I'm the electrician. I signed the contractor's subcontract. So I don't need to give this contractor an additional notice that I'm on the job because he already knows that I'm on the job. So the second major exception is that there's no notice to owner, notice to contractor needed when you have a direct contract with the bonded contractor on a bonded project, whether it's public or private. Another exception is that you don't need to serve a notice of non-payment when you have a direct contract with the bonded contractor on a public project. So let's run through an example. Let's say I am the roofer on a public job. Now this public job, let's say it's a school board project. The school board is the public entity. They hire a general contractor and that general contractor has to post a bond because there are no lien rights available on a public job. So the law requires that any contract between a public owner and a, a general contractor over a certain amount, typically it's $400,000, has to be bonded. So we already know that if I'm the sub to the bonded contractor, uh, I don't need to serve a notice to owner. That was the last rule we talked about. So I don't need to serve that notice within 45 days. I should, but I don't need to. Next, because the job is a public project, I don't even need to serve the notice of non-payment. That's the second notice within 90 days of my last work. I don't have to serve that second notice. So on a public project, if I have a contract, a direct contract with the bonded general contractor, then I don't need to serve a notice to owner, the 45-day notice, and I don't have to serve a notice of non-payment, the 90-day notice. All I have to do is file a lawsuit within one year of my last date of work on the job. That's the only obligation that I have to preserve my lien rights, or in this case, bond rights. Next, on a bonded project, the 45 days where I have to serve this notice to owner, technically called the notice to contractor, does not even begin to run until I have actual or constructive knowledge of that general contractor's bond. Let me give you another example. Let's say you are the sub subcontractor on a project um, and the general contractor on this job posted a bond, but for reasons unknown, 
this general contractor made no reference to the bond in the notice of commencement. The, they didn't record a copy of the bond in the public record. So you have no way to know that this job is bonded. Let's say you miss the notice to owner deadline. You forgot to send it. What's interesting is that this 45 days doesn't even begin to start to run until you have actual or constructive knowledge of this bond, which is the mechanism that you have to make a claim on. So this actually happened to a client of ours. He was a Mason on a school board project down in Homestead. And he totally forgot to send his uh, notice uh, to owner, notice to contractor, because he had a, a transition of certain personnel in his office and they screwed it up. So he comes to me and the job is completely done at this point. He's, he's off the job. It's been about two months since he's off the job. And he says, Alex, I really screwed up. I forgot to send my notice to owner. So we did a little research and we found out that the contractor in this case did not record a copy of the bond, which is required. We did find a copy of the bond. And once we found it, we served our notice to owner. Now, remember, this is more than a year after the job started. This is about 60 days after the he finished his work on the job. But because the time didn't start to run until we actually knew, once we knew, we sent that first notice. The next day, we served the notice of non-payment on the bond. And the day after that, we filed our lawsuit on the bond to get paid. He was owed roughly $100,000. And it took about four months of litigation, but we were able to convince the other side and the judge that their failure to, to comply with these rules um, meant that we still had a valid claim. And they ultimately paid us all of his money plus legal fees, costs, and interest. So that's an example of when you think that maybe um, because you didn't send a notice that you have no lien rights or bond rights, maybe you do because there's an exception that applies. So we went over several of these exceptions. There are still more, but these are the most uh, common ones that apply. So what else can you do? Um, the other thing to consider is uh, look for a bond that may exist on the job that is a, that's different from the general contractor's bond. So let's say you are the supplier to a subcontractor on a project. So, uh, or you could be a sub subcontractor. So maybe you are the um, ductwork subcontractor to the mechanical subcontractor on a project, or maybe you are the electrical supplier to the um, subcontractor on a project. Maybe you missed your deadline to record a lien. Maybe you missed the deadline to uh, make a claim on the general contractor's bond. But have no fear, because maybe the subcontractor has a bond. Now, this bond is not recorded in the public records. So you're not going to be able to find it there. So how do you get your hands on a copy of this subcontractor bond? The party that is most likely um, willing to give you a copy of this bond uh, is the general contractor. The general contractor has a copy of the bond because they're the ones that demanded the sub provide it. So if you send a written notice to the contractor for a copy of the bond, almost certainly they will provide you a copy. 
You can ask the subcontractor for it and you should do so and you should ask for it in writing. But I can't guarantee you that they will give it to you willingly. Now, when you use Sunray for your notices, um, one of the things that they put in their notice is a statement that says that if this job is bonded, please send us a copy. We have in the past used that statement as the basis for suing people saying that you had a bond, you didn't give it to us, we requested it in our notice to owner. Look, here's the line in our Sunray notice to owner that says you needed to give us a copy and you didn't. And by not doing that, we were prejudiced. So know that it's in the Sunray notice to owner, but you can always make a subsequent written request to the contractor for a copy if you want to verify. Now, if you have a claim, if you have a copy of that bond, you can make a claim on it um, and they will have to pay you just like the general contractor's bond will have to pay you. The nice thing about a subcontractor bond is that you don't have to comply with all the time requirements because it's not a statutory bond. It's a sub bond. So you just have to follow whatever the process is in that bond form. So you get a copy of it and then you do whatever it says that you have to do to make a claim. So let's talk about two other potential avenues of recovery. So one is a lawsuit for breach of contract. So what are the elements to sue someone for breach of contract? So first is you have to have an agreement with another person or an entity. It, it's great if it's in writing, but it's not required. We can have a verbal agreement and based on that verbal agreement, you may owe me money and I can sue you based on that verbal agreement and the fact that you didn't pay me. Um, the other writings that can support this claim are uh, a proposal, a quote, an invoice. Some of these may or may not be the contract, but they would evidence the existence of the agreement. So again, the best thing you can do is have a formal written contract, but just know that even if you don't, you still have the right to get paid and sue someone for breach of contract. Now, in your written agreement, if it has a pay when pay provision, you have to be very careful. So if I am the electrician on a project and I haven't been paid, if I sue the contractor who hasn't paid me, but they haven't been paid either, and I have a pay when paid provision in my contract, I may not win my breach of contract action because I they didn't breach the contract because they haven't been paid and I agreed that they don't have to pay me until they've been paid. So be very careful with pay when paid provisions in your written agreements. Now, many times you can't avoid it and I understand that, but just be aware before you embark on a breach of contract lawsuit. All right, so let's talk about unjust enrichment. Unjust enrichment is a legal theory that says, I conferred a benefit on you that's the enrichment part, and I haven't been paid for it. That's the unjust part. So if I, if you have been unjustly enriched, you should have to pay me. Uh, typically, we see these claims against people further up the contract chain than those that you have a direct contract with. So if I'm the electrician, I may sue the contractor for breach of contract, and I would sue the owner for unjust enrichment. So my argument against the owner would be, you have all of my electrical materials and supplies uh, and labor, 
but I haven't been paid for it. So that's why you are unjustly enriched. Just know that if the owner has paid the contractor, but the contractor hasn't paid you, then no claim for unjust enrichment will exist. So you may, they may have been enriched because they got your stuff, but it wasn't unjustly enriched because they did pay the contractor. The fact that the contractor didn't pay you now becomes an issue that you have to deal with between you and the contractor. All right, so let's recap. Number one, know the basic notice and lien and bond claim rules. The more you know about those rules uh, and the more you follow them, the less likely you are, you are to have to worry about missing a deadline. Two, exhaust all available exceptions to the lien law. Maybe there's an exception that gives you a right that you didn't even know about. Uh, next, if you are further down the chain, like a sub-subcontractor or a material supplier to a subcontractor, maybe the sub has a bond that you can make a claim against. That's another avenue of recovery. And then always consider alternative, alternative legal claims like breach of contract and unjust enrichment. But uh, thank you very much, everybody, for participating. And again, if you have questions, send us an email. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by the Calculine. The Calculine is a free tool you can get by simply going to calculine.com. That's C-A-L-C-U-L-I-E-N.com, calculine.com. And it's a free tool that allows you to easily calculate the 45 and 90 day deadlines for notice to owners, liens, and bond claims. No more counting on your fingers to figure out when your notice to owner deadline is or when your lien deadline is. Just go to calculine.com, put in your information, and we'll send one to you for free in the mail. You'll get it in a few days.